0: May those becoming prayers out of our heart, God, that just overflow. Thank you, Lord, for what we have done. It will make other relationships so much easier to with. we will Remember how much grace you took to save us. And you love us, how to us. and you care for us.
1: Now, Jesus Christ
0: is our living hope. Tears will be shed. Back to you again. Thanks for backing up the beat. However, I'll speak to you. Churches, if you can again, we're thankful that you're here on this Resurrection Sunday with us. Uh, we love you pray for other churches, we pray for other Christians, uh, we are not a church that thinks that we're the only one doing the Lord's work, so if you're here this morning visiting with us and you're with family or something like that, we're thankful that you're here, uh, just know that your churches and your pastors have been in my prayers and our prayers as a church and we love uh, the mission of God enough to know that we're not the only ones doing it. As we get started this morning, uh, kids listen, the last couple months you all have done a fantastic job in here. And I, anybody old enough to understand what I'm saying, I'm talking to you because you've done great. A months ago, I made your promise, and then I come through with it last week with a pile of ice cream we threw out of the window. We're going to do that again on the last Sunday of the month for the kids in here right now, right? And if, if you're not coming back between now and then, you make your parents bring in. you in. Know, I'll make sure you get an awesome treat. But I am one that believes kids do have an attention span, and we, we can corral it a little bit, especially if they're you know, old enough to watch four hours of another kid building a toy on YouTube or something. I'm pretty sure they can sit still for 25 minutes and hang out. So, here's my deal with you this morning. I've got a watch on, and it does work. It's also got a timer. It says 35 minutes, I'm not gonna do that. Parents, you're welcome. All right, we're gonna do a sweet 28 minutes. right? just something random there. I'm gonna be done before this thing ends. And if the kids don't give their parents gray hair while we go through this, Couple Sundays from now we'll have another party and I'll sugar you up and see you home with your parents again. Because I only got to take five, not fifty. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. All right. I believe in you. Here we go. This morning we talked about the trial of triumph. Last week we talked about the trail of triumph. We talked about what what God had done in the scriptures to point to who the Messiah would be and who Jesus would be and what he would look like. And all of those things were in there so that you and I would be able to recognize Him. He does it in the Gospels as the writers write it out, but He does it in the Old Testament. And we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament looking at these prophecies of who Jesus would be, what He would look like, what His character would be. And you and I will spend time again there today in Isaiah 53 here shortly. Because I want to show you again, just over and over and over, you cannot make these things up. And for anybody that thinks that Isaiah, I'm going to to preface this with a little bit of apologetics. For anybody that thinks Isaiah being written out, Isaiah 53, if you read it, you cannot not see the fingerprint of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. So here's been the thought process for years. Well, somebody wrote that after Jesus was born and then they crammed it back into the Old Testament. Do you know what destroyed that idea? The scrolls at Qumran that they discovered mid-century. little shepherd boy running around throwing rocks and he throws a rock up into a cave and he hears something crack. So then all of a sudden somebody's climbing up there to check out what's going on and what do they find? They find scrolls of Old Testament books. They find the whole scroll of Isaiah. And you know what's in that scroll that's dated about 300 B.C.? Isaiah 53. So when we land there today, I want you to see the fingerprint of God. Far before He was born, Jesus could not manufacture what happened there. We talked about Palm Sunday last week, right? The trail of triumph. That's what we were looking at. I told you last week, there were four things we saw in that passage. The presence of God, the promises of God, right? The power of God and the preeminence of God. That's what we've seen in every biography now for over two years. We started in Genesis and we've just been working through Scripture. Every biography we have seen the presence, the promises, the power, and the preeminence of God Almighty. The one thing that was missing last week we look at today. The trail points to God and it points to Christ. John chapter 20 verse 30 says this. Why did the Apostle John write his gospel? He told us. Chapter 20 verse 30. I have written these things for you that believe that you may know Jesus is the Son of God to the glory of God. And so he writes this book for a very specific reason that you and I may read it and look up and say, God, you are good. Christ, you are good. Christ, you are God. And John tells us exactly what he wants to do. We talked last week about where you and I are in that story of Palm Sunday. There are three people in that story. You and I are one, two, three, all of them if you are a Christian. Number one, you're the the person laying the palm branch down or the cloak down and letting Jesus walk over it as king. You're the disciples that are there listening to His teaching. You're following Him and watching all this stuff go on. And you want to live like Him and you want to love like Him. Or you are the unnamed owner of the donkey and the pork. And in an unnamed moment, you're just serving the Lord with something that you have that maybe no one else will ever know. The problem is you can't be a worshiper if you're not doing the private service. And you can't really be a worshiper if you don't care what Jesus has to say and you're not learning what His teachings tell you. We'll see that stuff again today in the Great Commandment. On Friday, we met together that night and what we did was we just looked at this week to remember. I told the church that night, if you had one week left to live, what would you do? I saw that meme on Facebook, I'm sure some of you all did this week, that said, Jesus knew he had days left to live, and what did he do? He chose to wash feet. That's a wonderful statement. Also terribly incomplete. Because he did a lot of stuff in seven days. Right? Called himself God, let people worship him, forgave sin. Just over and over and over. Teaches new truths. He gives a new commandment on Thursday that you and I are to love one another. And He goes into that, and He makes this statement about the church. And this is why church community, church fellowship, church attendance, church service is so vitally important. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, by the way you love each other, the world is going to know you love me. Now that will knock your your theology for a loop. That will knock how you live your life in a loop. If you will figure that out. It's not the cross that I wear. Right? It's not the Bible I carry under my arm. It's not the track that I leave on the table. If you go out to eat today and you don't tip your server well, shame on you. Do not leave a gospel track in place of money. They can't spend a track. It's very nice of you. Leave some money in it. they will be a little more receptive to the message. Right? That's just my two cents this morning. Jesus says the way you love one another is the way the world is going to tell you love and worship me. It's not my gospel tract that I lay down after I eat a meal. It's not the, the Jesus fish on my car for the person I just cut off because I was in a hurry, right? It's not that I'm a pastor. It's not that you're a deacon. And it's not that you play in a praise team. The way people know that you love the Lord is the way you interact. We interact as a body because this looks heavenly. It should look out of this world. So when they look in, they peer into my life and your life and they watch us interact or they watch us serve together or they watch us forgive and love and cry together. They watch us do life together. They watch your life fall apart and they see me enter in as someone to be helpful. They look at that and say, those people love Jesus. That's not my words. Those are the Lord's. If you want to be impactful for the kingdom, you have to love the church and Jesus' people. That line has gone on far too long in our culture, and most people are too cowardly to say it out loud. You cannot hate the bride and love the Lord. It doesn't work that way. So today, what do we look at? We finished the last day of this week, or technically, I guess you could say day eight, with what? Resurrection Sunday. And what do you and I pull into that? What do we see here? Well, we got four out of five of God's pieces last week. Today we get the fifth one. What is the fifth one? The fifth fifth one is punishment. If you want to scribble something down... As a, as, a, as a reminder to keep, write these five words down. When you read the Scripture, these are the things you will see. The presence, the power, the promises, and the preeminence of God. He is always there. Even in Esther where He's not mentioned, or Song of Solomon where He's not mentioned. It is there. He is preeminent. But the fifth piece is this. Punishment. God makes promises. Not all of them are good. And when you and I disobey, there is punishment. And what do we see? Good Friday brings about all five interactions of Jesus' last week of His earthly life. Thus we see the trial of triumph for Jesus on the cross, seemingly in defeat. That is Good Friday. S. N. Locker said to kids, man, you not believe how many conversations I've had over that S. N. Locker's video in the last couple of days. That was sad. That was scary. I didn't like it. Why did you keep saying it was Friday? Like, all these wicked things are happening. The wrath of God is getting ready to be poured out in Jesus Christ. And it just looks like the world is winning. It looks like chaos is going to be forever. It looks like there's no daylight coming. It looks like your life is going to be a mess forever. And then you know what he says? It's Friday. But Sunday is coming. Here we are. And it's time to celebrate. Because every promise Jesus made, every teaching that He taught is verified today. Even Christmas and the virgin birth. That is just a story until Resurrection Sunday. Do you understand that? Raise your hand if you like Christmas. You know what proves Christmas? Today. If Jesus doesn't come out of that grave alive bodily not a spirit, not a force, not a feeling. If he doesn't come out of there bodily, you and I have nothing to grab a hold of. Paul would say we are people to be most despised. We are people to be most pitied if Jesus wasn't bodily resurrected. So God the Father goes out the punishment. Jesus accepts the condemnation and the separation. We talked about this on Good Friday. You get to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is praying. The Bible says he is grieved of spirit. He's just wore out. If you read that passage, I want you to remember there's a piece right after that that says, in order for him to even get up and move next, the angels had to come and minister to him. That is how weak and broken he was in that moment. You're sitting here today or you're listening at home and you're weak and you're broken. Listen, God has helped. The Holy Spirit within you and angels that can come and minister to you. Listen to the Word. Open your Bible. Pray. And the Lord will supply you enough strength to stand up and take the next step. You'll get enough shade and enough time and enough sustenance for the next day. God the Father doles out the punishment. And Jesus accepts both the separation and the condemnation. He who knew no sin became our sin so that you and I may be the righteousness of God. Good Friday takes all your nastiness and pays God's punishment for it. What we rightly deserve is poured out on Christ so that the life that He lived could be given to us trying to explain this to my seven-year-old last night as we're having this conversation. And the only thing I could think of that would would break it down to that level is simply this. One day when I stand before a holy God, the life of Jesus will be that stream that God the Father looks through. So that judgment and that righteousness is going to see the life and the blood of Jesus Christ instead of this mess that I made, I chose and I created. Every lie, every frustration, Every time I was mean and I shouldn't have been, every time I didn't do something I should have done, God will not see. He will see the glory and the goodness of Jesus. That is the good news. That is what happens on Good Friday. But what's the need? What's the need of this? As I take this moment this morning just to walk through the story with you and how you and I can too. Isaiah 53, verse 1 says this, again, written. Six, seven hundred years before Christ with with documented scrolls three hundred years before Jesus was born. And here's what it says. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and esteemed, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of who? My people, not himself. Very important. Very important. Only a God of detail would write in my people, not his transgressions. Tremendous detail. The Lord just showing off. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Make who? Make many. Do you know him this morning? That's talking about you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have been made righteous because it was the will of God to crush Jesus Christ on your behalf and on mine. It was the will of God to do it because there was no other plan that would work. He has made many righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Christ lives today. And at the throne of God, he is your attorney and he is mine. He is interceding on our behalf. Something amazing that happens in the book of Job is the devil himself still gets access heaven. He still gets access to the throne of God where he comes in and the Bible says he accuses us. He lies about you. He wants to pull up all your flaws and there to answer at the right hand is Jesus Christ. He's never lost a case. So I say all that to tell you this. What happens in Luke 22? Jesus says, not my will but yours be done. He says, Father, let this cup pass, but if it cannot Not my will, but yours be done. What happens? It was the Father's good will to crush Him. Jesus learns submission. John 10, 15, He tells His disciples, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life to the sheep. Isaiah 53, but He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was upon Him. He sacrificed. John 17 5 Jesus is praying he's praying to the father and he says father now glorify me in your presence again with the glory I had before I came here before Jesus lays off some of that glory whatever that looks like I don't think anybody can explain it properly but he leaves heaven he takes on flesh and he comes to earth and in John 17 he is getting ready to go home and in his prayer he says now glorify me again Isaiah 53 says it this way after his anguish he will see light and be satisfied Friends, there is a trial of triumph here. There is a process that even Jesus will walk for the outcome to be even more amazing than you and I could ever dream. If you are struggling right now, understand this. The only sinless person to ever live also struggled. He calls no issue on himself, they were thrust upon him. He gladly, willfully took the plan, and the first time he mashed his hammer, mashed his thumb with a hammer, the man hurt, and he had never done that before in all of eternity. And now he's staring toward the cross and he walks it anyway. What's the need for these things? Well, Jesus, as our high priest, is going to learn submission to the Father's will. His flesh is going to, to, to argue, to, to bucket the idea that on the cross He is going to be separated from God the Father for the only time in eternity. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became our sin. So when God pours that wrath out, it is Christ there to accept it. And the Father has to turn His back. It's not the physical pain that Jesus is frustrated with. It's the separation that comes from being sinned. And losing that connection with God the Father for those three dark hours on the cross. About nine to about three. He learns sacrifice for the blessing of others. He's getting ready to pour it all on. And I need you to understand, friend. Satisfaction comes from this road. It's not immediate, it's delayed. But when it hits, it is more than you could have ever dreamed Why is the Christian life so hard? Why do we push hard things? Why do we tell you to, to to love the Lord, to honor Him, to serve hard people, to love hard people, to forgive hard things? Why do we tell you those things? Because the satisfaction that comes at the end is far greater than anything this world could ever hand you by doing it outside of God's will. And not only is it temporally better, it is eternally so much more than you can understand This plan that we deal with today holds the answer for every piece of knowledge that you and I have. Existence itself and how we see it and making sense of it comes from this moment. Love and righteousness. Justice and grace. Law and mercy. Collide right here. This three-day period allows a Christian that understands their faith and understands the Word of God, this three-day period allows you and I to to filter everything that the world would throw at us and to be able to make sense out of it. It doesn't make sense if we don't have this God that's willing to suffer, even die, to love us, to care for us, and to provide for our needs. It was to show His righteousness, Romans 3:26 says, so that he might be both just and the justifier of those that were believe. You see, if, if a judge just let out a hardened criminal onto the street, if they just let him out and said, I want to, I feel like being forgiving today, we're just gonna let him out, let him go. Not a person in Charleston would think that was fair unless maybe you were related to them. Right? If that judge let them go and they would say, you want justice, that's not justice. But yet we look at God and so many of us expect Him to do the same thing. The Lord could not just let us go with our sin. We had offended Him greatly. We had committed treason against His kingdom. It had to be punished. But Romans 3.26 tells us that Jesus, that moment on the cross, God is both just and He is the justifier. His law is upheld, and His love is shown out. He is still God, and you and I now do not have to spend eternity in hell. That's what that sounds like. Because of what Christ has done. So where's the triumph? Where's the triumph in all of this? Well, Matthew 8, right? The Great Commission, what's it say? The angel told the women, do not be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He has risen, just as He said. Come and see where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples He is risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you. You will see Him there. Jesus' triumph comes over His death, the grave, and all physical circumstances. That's what that Resurrection Sunday shows. Nothing physically can hold Him. How about the next one? Jesus, in in John chapter 20, my kids were asking about this this morning, man. They They were hammering me today. Thomas, Right? Thomas is not there the first time the disciples see a risen Jesus. And when they tell Thomas, he says, I will not believe until I touch the hands and I touch the scar. I'm going to put my hands in his side. I won't believe. What happens? In John 20, about seven to ten days later, somewhere in that time frame, Thomas is there too, and Jesus shows up and he says, Here I am, Thomas, come touch. And Thomas says, Oh no. And he gives the highest verbiage to Jesus in all the New Testament. He says, my Lord and my God. And falls down to worship. Philippians 2 would say this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, what is the next victory? It is triumph over doubters and deniers. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Friends, if you're here and you can listen to the sound of my voice right now, it's better to bow to me now than it is to be forced later. You and I will bow to me. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this, the triumph over the law and the limitation of a sympathetic God, but not an empathetic one. And I pulled up the definitions there to try to make sense of this. God could not understand what it was like to be human. He could feel sorry about our plight, but he still had to punish it. Jesus, our perfect high priest, can now understand what it's like to be human and always tempted as we were, yet without sin. A holy God could not understand what it was like to be tempted. The Bible says you can't be tempted. But when Jesus took on the flesh of a man and lived this life, he understands betrayal. He understands hurt. He understands sweat. He understands when things didn't go his way. He understands when circumstances were hard. He understands when it's tempted to deviate. And so now our perfect high priest can actually be empathetic with us and say, I remember what it was like. That also leaves you and I without excuse. One of the most fascinating things I ever realized was one day when you and I get to heaven, we will not be able to look at Jesus and say, you don't understand what it was like. It'd be really easy to do that if God was just sitting on the throne. But Jesus took on flesh, and He came here to walk this world so that He would be our perfect high priest. Not perfect and He never did anything wrong, but perfect as in complete. He understands what it's like to be human. That's Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 7. There's your little homework for tonight. What happens to this story? Where's the client? You and I are a flawed person. We're in a limited system. Hebrews talks about the law. As soon as you break the law, you deserve death. So what happens to our story if Jesus doesn't come? Well, we are a flawed person in a limited system and God is still holding. So you can work your tail off. You can work your tail off. You can love people well. You can give every dollar you have. You can, you can do your best and you can serve and you can lay it all out there. And when you and I stand before a holy God, the scales are still going to tip in the wrong direction. You're not going to earn your way into the kingdom. That's what happens if Jesus doesn't come. We are in a you are a flawed person in a limited system because the first time you break the law, God says, You have now dishonored me. It's over. He is that holy. So there's the triumph. Jesus looks at Peter. Now let me plot to you and I. Those are Jesus' triumphs. The plot to you and I, and we're done. In John chapter 21, Peter has denied Christ three times. He's the big mouth. It reminds me a lot of times of me. He's the big mouth and the coward and got himself over his seeds a lot. Right? And Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, like anytime he calls you Simon, he knows you know he's in trouble. John 21, what happens? Resurrected Jesus sees Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, you know all things, Lord. I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He does it three times. Why? How many times did Peter deny Christ? A resurrected Jesus allows what? It allows Jesus to conquer my failures. And he's able and willing to use you and I. A resurrected Jesus to do that. Peter, a couple days before, said, Lord, these, these losers right here talking about the disciples may leave you and disown you. I will never leave you. But Jesus restores him back to fellowship and actually makes him somebody really big in the early church. But he had to humble him first. Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, can overcome your failures too. How about this one? Jesus has conquered my world and all of its restrictions. Matthew 28 says All authority has been given to me Go therefore into all the nations making disciples Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Teaching them all that I have commanded you And lo, I am with you And I am with you always Even to the end of the age What did Jesus just do? He conquered the world and all of its restrictions Last slide, we're done You're doing fantastic Myself. There's a 28 minute mark. I told you, hold yourself accountable. Here we go. I laughed at this one this morning, out loud, by myself in a house at like six in the morning. Acts chapter nine. What has Jesus conquered? Well, who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus. I am Jesus. The one you're persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You know what Jesus did when he came up out of that grave? Conquered your enemies. Saul. Persecuting the church. Saul is the one holding the cloak when they stung the first martyr for the church, Stephen. Saul is one of the young men standing there holding the cloak while the elders stung this guy to death and he enters into heaven's gate. Do you know what happened a couple years later? You know who was probably the first person to welcome Saul into heaven? Paul. Paul a martyr that he helped kill. I saw that later earlier this week too, and that's the way the gospel works. Can you imagine? It's Jesus, whom he persecuted, and then it's Stephen, whom he helped stone. And they welcome him in and say, good job, you finished well. Well, you started a little rough, but you finished well. That one made you chuckle. He has conquered your enemies. And finally, Revelation chapter 5, and as I read this, they're going to come forward, they're going to play you one more fantastic song. I'm going to give you a little time to think over what we're doing while they're playing, but in Revelation chapter 5, let me show it to you. He has conquered my death. He already conquered his. He's conquered mine. He's conquered my hell. He's conquered Satan, my king. You understand? We were children of Satan. Before you were born again, before you got saved, you were a child of wrath. You were a son or a daughter of Satan himself. You wanted to be just like him and run your own kingdom. He conquered that for me, and he has satisfied God's wrath for the injustice that I have committed. Revelation chapter 5 says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. Written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. What does John do? Verse 4 says, And I began to weep loudly. Why? Because if you can't open the scroll, the book of life, if you can't open it, we're doomed. And there's no one there. The angel was looking for someone, anybody. And one of the elders said to me, We no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its see it. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in all the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped i want to ask you to stand this morning and i want to beg you don't let this moment be a surprise sing it now Mean it now your knee is going to bow. Your heart is going to be broken. You are physically not going to be able to stand against the God of the universe. Do it now by it's time. If you don't know him, today is your day, I would love to talk with you. But I just want, this world needs Christians to stand up and act like Christians that have hope and, and serve a resurrected Jesus, a living Savior. Instead of this mealy-mouthed, blush-wearing, pale sissy. He is alive, he is alive, and he wants to use you, and he loves you, sing it out this morning.